Hello and welcome to Royale Without Cheese, our bi-weekly podcast in which we discuss both the classic and the unknown of Hollywood and foreign cinema from the then and now. We are three filmmakers and your hosts, me, Tomás Ferreira, Miguel Aido. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And Leonardo Miranda. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, man. <laughs> This is our talk show segment where we welcome grand indie filmmakers to our wonderful couch and discuss their work. Here with us we have the actor-directors Uk Tsoza and Frank Mosley. Both with established careers in the American indie scene, we'll ask them about their first collaboration as directors and fellow actors in The Event, a comedy short which premiered last year at the Indie Darling Slam Dance Film Festival, and now their follow-up Good Condition, releasing this April at the Oscar qualifying festival Aspen Shorts Fest. So, congratulations, fellas. Thank you. How Thank are you. we feeling? Thank you. Excited. Excited. Uh, yeah, especially with Aspen, because Aspen's amazing fest I've just heard so much about for so long, so it's cool to finally get in there. It's kind of been on the bucket list, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it's uh, it's one of those um, big independent film festivals in America. I know it like a premier one. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the event at Fest, New Directors, New Film Festival. It's a little sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were really taken by it. Uh, it was your first collaboration. And for the audience uh, here listening, it is a short film around a filmmaker. Uh, Vincent, who sneaks in the middle of the night to you, Frank, and asks him the terrifying question, when are you going to see my short film? (laughs) And one of the big attributes of the film I found was that uh, there was this pulsing rhythm and a grounded specificity to the way Hugo writes the dialogue, which is really a monologue at first. And in, in that, there is a similarity with even good condition. And so the first question to really ask both of you, where we can take the event as an example for Hugo, is what are the essential questions uh, that you ask yourselves when writing dialogue? Uh, what were the questions? Mm-hmm. Um, like at first, what are your concerns when you start writing it? Because, you know, it's full of uh, just so many adjective- adjectives and mm-hmm. specificities to it. Uh, I try not to think about it that much, honestly. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, it just comes out. Um, it just comes out. Uh, our, the monologue, it's something I came up with in conversation with a friend like years ago, because I was trying to explain to him how insane it is that he hasn't watched any of our friends' films. So I had that already written in my head. And then, you know, you sit down and you start writing. It's, I, 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 I try not to think too much beforehand. You know, maybe afterwards, I'm like, I can like look at it and like see. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, you just it just comes out of you, I think. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of these two films, it all comes down to the script, you know, and Hugo wrote two amazing scripts, uh, you know, one which is a little more literal, one which is a little more elusive, a little more mysterious, which I think shows a lot of range, like just as a writer and as a visionary in that way. But coming in to kind of see like how to make the films, I think all started from his script because it's like, okay, what's the content, the literal specificity, as you were saying, like what's the dialogue that's being said? And then how do we want to shoot it? Like, how do we want to frame this? You know, is this something that feels more like a long take, like good condition, or is this something that's a little more cut up like the event, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, I have the same feeling towards dialogue, Hugo, in the sense that um, I can only get in there, especially when, on a treatment phase, not even on a script phase. I need the, maybe the, I was just discussing this with 
my fellow podcasters, <laughs> that um, I cannot really, when writing a treatment, I need to get my hands in the dirt writing the dialogue because there's this idea that you shouldn't write too many lines, you should be more indirect in the narrative, uh, just give a hint, an idea of what it's there going to be in the script, but I really just need to feel it and write the dialogue and I don't have like a preconceived notion of what the dialogue is going to exactly be, it's more of a feeling. And I think that works best because you know, once you start writing it, you really, the characters speak for themselves, almost like they are different parts of your brain. And then you start asking the questions. I think that was a beautiful way to put it. Um, yeah, I definitely, you write more at first and then you kind of like cut back, you know, we cut some lines, uh, you know, but I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's helpful when you have more to edit, you know, if you start yeah. really tight, it's, you know, you get a little stuck. No. Yes. And it's also the, the will to, I think a lot in filmmaking is about not being afraid to go there. You know, when, when you feel mm -hmm. like this line is going to be stupid, you're almost like the critic of yourself in your writing because you're thinking, ah, maybe I should cut back, maybe I shouldn't do this. But I think it's allowing yourself to, let's say, make mistakes or to write the lines that you think this is not going to sound so well. What are people going to think? Then there's too many voices in your head about, you know, a made up audience really inside your mind, judging what you're ready, you're going to write without even having written it. So you really need to allow yourself to breathe and no, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this, even if it sounds stupid. I'm gonna let all those naysayers inside my hand go away and just put it down. And that, I mean, at least to me, I think it helps. Totally, I mean, I mean, the stakes are really low when it comes to like, I mean, most things you're gonna write, you're not gonna make. That's just mm -hmm. the nature of it, you know? So what's, there's no, you know, if you write something bad, you're just not going to make it because you're not going to be able to put a team together around that script. So, you know, just, you know, keep writing. That's a, that's uh, a yeah. good depressing way of feeling it. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but, it's but it's true. It's, it like is realistic. No, yeah. it's very why, real. Yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why are you being precious? There's no way, there's no reason to be precious. You know, it's like, just do your best, let it come out of you. And then if, if it's good enough, you, you'll make that. And if it's, if it's not good enough, you, no one will ever see it because it's screenwriting. No one reads scripts, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the assurance of realism, I, I think, what you just said there. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the most interesting features of the event is this particular choice of visual style for a comedy. You focus on these long static shots that really arrest the viewer um, in Vincent's frustration and humiliation. Um, so this is just a segue for both of you. Um, how was your experience co-directing? and um, you know, what were your visual influences for, for the event? I mean, we, uh, we talked a lot about a couple movies. We talked about uh, Force Majeure was one of them because uh, we talked about how much we love that and how you really feel the cringe effect of this slow burn build of this like, oh my God, can this get any worse? And it just keeps building and snowballing, getting worse. So that was a big influence in that that director, Oslin, really knows how to when to cut and when to hold on a frame and to really let you stew in it and to simmer in it and to bake, to fry, basically, with the material, you know. Um, we also talked about some edges a little bit of, of P.T. Anderson and, like, Punch Drunk Love. There's a particular moment. I don't know if Hugo and I actually ever even talked about this, but there's like a particular moment in Punch Drunk Love where Adam Sandler is talking to uh, a dentist. It's just a simple, like, medium-wide two-shot of the two guys and i remember that was a moment for us that we had cited as you know this could be interesting to use in the film like you have all this cutting back and forth and what if you have a scene where 
it doesn't do that. And uh, so we kind of took that as inspiration for like the hallway scene, for example. Yeah, I wrote that scene thinking about that scene in Punchstruck Love. Uh, it's such a beautiful scene. We talked about that too much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because we share a love for Paul Thomas Anderson, all of us. And uh, I didn't mention that scene in being one of my favorite films of um, PTI and how he owns really the... Um, the angriness, you know, the anger of, uh, you know, uh, Adam Sandler and hones it to a dramatic level that, you know, in that shot alone is very much visible. I mean, all his gestures, you, you can break it down to all different kinds of emotions. And it's very heightened, but yet you, you totally believe it. You're totally there with him <laughs> watching yeah. that man break down. It's beautiful. But yeah, but co-directing was easy because uh, uh, the second we talked about the idea, we had a very similar vision of what this, the film would look like. And in the script, I had some references to the lighting. I kind of like made notes about the lighting and how there wasn't a lot of lighting at all. Uh, and when we talked, we just, we saw, we were seeing the same film. So it was actually really easy to co-direct, which I know it's probably hard most times, but uh, in this case, it was kind of sim was kind of easy. Yeah. It was, I mean, and it was, it was easy too, because we're also acting in it, right? So we have each other to, rely on each other like in both directing and acting because you know the camera is either on both of us or it's on one of us at a time where the other one can kind of have eyes on the other and just try to give notes give ideas give feedback you know but yeah it was very easy and again it all started from the script so i think like getting the time that we had one thing that hugo and i were very very lucky to have is time so we were able to workshop those scenes that he wrote and be like how do we want to do this how do we want to play with this um, and so our decisions came, like once we had them down, then it was just trying to relay all those decisions to our team members because we shot it all in one night, you know, so it's just a lot to, to cover in one night, but we did it. But you'd be surprised the things that on the day you're like, oh, we should have thought about this. Like, I remember, yeah. like, we didn't even think about how I'm going to be sitting on the floor, yeah. like by the bed. We didn't even thought about it. And then on the day we're like, oh shit, we should have probably thought about this. <laughs> but you know, in the moment you kind of find something, but uh, you try to be as prepared as you can, but like on the day, you know, it's like, it's you'll never be a hundred percent prepared for anything you do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you'd say more um, subjective decisions like uh, framing was something that came from both of you or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we just we storyboard. Yeah. We had all our shots down like ahead of time, you know? Yeah. Especially because we shot our film, the film in my house. So we could, we could just walk around the, the rooms and just take pictures. Yeah. It was kind of easy. When you were writing the script, did you already know that you two would be the actors or was that a decision that came later? Yeah. We're, 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 yeah, it's easy. It's easier if you're in it because you don't have to, you know, it's two, two less people you need to like try to, higher but and also mm -hmm. yeah yeah we were thinking about ideas that we could both start in yeah mm -hmm. uh, good condition is your second short film together uh now with frank as director and hugo as the leading man as barry a man terribly in need for some company uh in this case the company he needs is from a mysterious man who sells barry the perfect beautiful table he was looking for for his apartment he tries to connect with the stranger but the man does not want to be seen or heard, if, if not only through messages. Um, so there's always this degree of separation, be it the door, the phone, and we only, we only really read his words. So again, Hugo playing a character, trying to connect with someone that is kind of blocking him out in one way or another. 
with this film, we'd like to ask you, how do you find your collaborative relationship developed compared to the, the event? You know, like what are some differences or similarities in your work method compared to that film? Because, you know, here one is writing and one is directing. I don't know if that was like a, a conscious decision in separating the work or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We, we talked about how since Hugo is the only actor in this one and we were both kind of helming our second film together, we were kind of like, well, it makes sense. Then it's like, then I can just like, I'll focus on this side of the camera. You focus on that. So you can give everything you have to that performance. Um, and I mean, and Hugo's an incredible actor, but I, I personally think like, this is one of my favorite characters he's just created for himself. And I feel like he, he delivers blow by blow in that monologue. And the whole reason there's no cutting, like in that monologue of that long take is because of Hugo. Like I didn't have to cut because he's interesting to watch, you know, like if you had a different actor or lesser actor, you would chop it up all over the place. You have different angles or whatever, but Again, we knew that going in, in our rehearsal process. So it made it very easy to know, hey, this is all going to be cut up in the first half of this. But this last half, like, this is all you, buddy. Like, this is you delivering. You, like, getting to sell your character. So it was fun to get to to work in that way that was different than the event in some ways. But it was also very similar. I mean, there was basically a lot of overlap. I mean, I think the one thing was that just, like, there was just a little less talk maybe about camera between both of us this time around. But other than, even then, I would run ideas by Hugo. I'm like, what do you think? Because, you know, again, we're shooting at his house, his house, which has become the most amazing <laughs> studio in the world. So, <laughs> And the character is very interesting. I mean, just the wardrobe alone, it seems simple, but this red jacket and the fact that you have kind of very little clothes beneath it. I'm wondering, I'm looking at you, Hugo. And I'm like, who is this guy? Because, <laughs> you know, you use this Zoom, this Zoom technique in, in your film. And there's a moment by the door, precisely the monologue, the moment of confrontation, the climax. And I kind of see these little notes on your ear, these chalk-like notes. And I'm like, are you an addict, man? What is that cocaine I'm seeing? <laughs> I mean, is it? Right. I don't know if it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, because also you are kind of sweaty in another shot when you go to, to the garage. And I'm like, is that sweat? So <laughs> like a little uh, inspector. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was an intentional decision. Yeah, we, we, we have a lot of things there. I don't want to say what we think uh, those right. things you are. Because, yeah, you know what I mean? Like uh, we have, you know, obviously we, we have our own interpretation of what they are. Uh, but we, yeah, the, this, the film has a lot of little things for the audience to kind of like try to this is the first thing i've done that it's like um depending on who who watches it like they have a different they see a different film and i kind of like that you know it's depends on who you are if you're you know if you're a more cynic person you know even frank and i we have slightly different interpretations of the movie too mm -hmm. and uh, and this movie more so than the event uh, we there was a somewhat heavy rewrite process during the editing it's very different from what, what, what was on the page. Uh, I mean, slightly different. Uh, so I'm, I'm also trying to interpret it. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's ambiguous, you know? Yeah, definitely. The, the ending leaves a lot of room to interpret who is that person that doesn't know which to talk to Barry. Um, but now let's talk about editing, one interesting feature in the film. I think that Good condition and the event share similarities in terms of visual um, approach 
in, a, in, the, in the way that there are a lot of long shots that pierce into the character's psyche. But Frank goes a step further and introduces us to the zoom technique in this film that is used very, you know, in a methodic way to kind of grasp and gross us in Barry's eagerness to connect, but also the impossibility of it happening. I mean, it's delicious to see the, the zoom that happens in that monologue by the climax. And you are in this, you know, you're in this throw of blows with this door, this inanimate thing that is not responding to you. And suddenly, you know, your head, your whole face gets out of frame. You know, it's a language with a visual frame, you know. Um, and it's super interesting how it's used and when it is used. So the question really is, when did you measure in the edit or even in the storyboard when to use the zoom? And what inspired you? What films or film inspired you to use it? I mean, I think for me, the... Um, the zoom represents stages of a disintegration of, of Barry uh, because they're, you know, it's all about his relationship with the table. And so like ahead of time, I'm always trying to experiment and play. And I think, I mean, I think Hugo would say the same thing. It's like every short's an opportunity to do something new and to experiment. And I feel like if you're not doing that, then you're not pushing yourself and you can't have that opportunity to grow at the same time. Um, so in the case of this, I'd always wanted to use practical zooms in a movie, which is something I always had in the back of my head. And when thinking about the language for this film, I thought maybe this is the one to actually have that. And why it seemed like it was a good fit was because so much, so little is said in the first half of this film. So much is said in the last half of this film that there is a unspoken kind of tenuous thread between Hugo and the table. And so I thought if we can sometimes like use the camera as like a thread, how do we represent that thread? It's the zoom. So like when he first sees the table, the zoom sucks him in. Like everything else before that are, are like still shots, you know, or like panning, but there's no zooms. Um, but when that zoom happens, that's like the introduction. Then when he falls in love with it, it's another zoom, right? And then it's the loss of that table. It's like the third. So it's rule of thirds. You get like that last third. Uh, where he looks into the table and we go all the way in to the table where he loses himself in it. So it's like, you know, they kind of merge. I mean, I, I get real cerebral. I'm an English lit guy. So it's like, I get very <laughs> thematic and metaphors, but to me it's, and this was also in the script, but I think visually to complement Hugo's script was like, they become one at the end. It's like, they're both broken by the end of this movie. There's a broken man and there's a broken table. So that last shot, they could look into each other that's the end of the movie, you know? So it just felt like the right tool to use for the time, you know? Yeah, you know, at the subconscious level, I was really thinking about uh, the rule of thirds because it feels like you have this zoom where you capture him as he enters the garage door, then this still shot off the table itself, the hand getting on top of it, and then his face and you go to him and the table, and it really feels like a strange love affair. I never was so in love for the most bland table I've ever seen in my life. It's That's uh, amazing. That's great. Yeah, it's great. You know, your acting, Hugo, really sells it. So, yeah. His, his nuzzling on the table, I think, is incredible. <laughs> like, you really feel, you feel an ache there that really is is expounded on that monologue. You're, oh, like, that's why, that's why you love that mm -hmm. table so much. It's really beautiful. Yeah. 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 It's the transposition of the feeling that would be applied to, you know, the eagerness of to connect with the human being to just this whole object, which is... I think uh, really makes the short very potent. Thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you. For me, it was really interesting to see this transition of expectations uh, between just the mysterious beginning and the what the hell is happening in this garage to then 
um, the character really uh, we come to understand that the character is really lonely so um, really going from one place to the other was, was quite an interesting quite an interesting move I think so yeah on that note we'd like to focus a bit on the acting because Hugo is essentially playing you know a, it's a one-man show almost it's him alone talking to a door or falling in love mm -hmm. with the table <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Hugo as a as an actor What's that like? I don't know if you have much experience, you know, being the sole focus of a film or being in that long of a monologue. And was it challenging for you? Was it easy because it's your words? What, what was that like, the process? It's easier when you're performing your own writing because the feelings of the character and the story are already in you when you write it. So I don't have to go searching for, for them. Uh, so in that sense, it's like, it's, it's like a shortcut. Um, and then, you know, I, I've done monologues in the past, so I wasn't like too intimidating, uh, intimidated by, by it. Um, uh, and Frank was very encouraging. So it's, uh, and he really believed that I could pull it off in one take. So, you know, that kind of helped. Uh, and then, yeah, we shot like four takes So that. I think only two were usable, honestly. And that was, that was, the, that was the first take that we used. Uh, so, you know. You hope for the best and then you have to get, it's like, it's all luck. No, it's not all luck. Yeah, you, you, you have to, you try to be prepared and stuff, but it's like, we could have not gotten that take. Uh, and then you'd be a different short film. You know, that's, that's why I like filmmaking. It's like, you're hoping for all these miracles to happen for you to have something that's like worth watching. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun to do, especially in front of, and this is like, this is my house. So my neighbors were watching. So it was like kind of, that, that, that part was kind of awkward. Uh, but we did it fast, fast enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like a second audience before the yeah. <laughs> cinema <Yeah>. audience. Yeah. <laughs> those uh, those dogs barking, by the way, were the other audience. They're the dogs in the back alley. Definitely. And then we added more in post, but the dogs are really there. They were really going at us. <laughs> yeah, good, great. Yeah, because I was I was thinking that really adds a sense of mystery and danger to it. What is this scenario? Where is he going? <laughs> All these questions. It's great when a film makes you makes you ask questions. I think we don't have enough of that because. More often than not, you find a lot of films that just make you kind of go through the motions with, okay, he's doing this, now he's doing that. So I think it's a great attribute. The sound in this film is great. I'm really proud of that. Uh, the, the, this guy, uh, Chris Mack, he did the sound design and he did a really incredible job. Frank is really good with that. Uh, uh, yeah, just like, you know, I, I love this, how this film sounds. That's like one of my favorite features of the short film. He really did it. Chris really brought it out. Like he brought out this, those everyday sounds, but he amplified them in a really uh, scary way towards like, yeah. he, it feels a little suffocating maybe too. There's the, the detail you of know. a plane. If I remind, if I remember well, there's a, the detail of a plane that goes throughout uh, the short, I think. There's a, there's a little bit like when he's like in the garage okay. and things like that, uh -huh. but yeah, a lot of birds and a lot of, you know, neighborhood sure. sounds that feel really harmless. But then it's like, if you're in the mind of this guy, it's like, maybe it's not so harmless you know yeah i mean the garage door itself feels so dangerous and something yeah. someone then that didn't happen close yeah. the garage door then the, the garage door is closing itself quick pan oh my god no throws and it's, it's and then you know it's the build-up to something you know the build-up through something dangerous but then the most funny thing happens is this guy just throwing a chair outside a table to outside breaking and i'm just laughing it's just kind of it's uh it's interesting the play of different emotions that I go through. 
because I'm scared for him suddenly. What is this? There, there's some kind of pervert inside the house, this door closing, you know, so many possibilities and the escalation of questions in my head. And then it's just the focus on the table breaking and how that correlates with him, him his broken self inside through the rest of the film. Um, you know, these are the interesting things. And also, like you were saying, Hugo, it's a, it's a little bit of luck and the mistakes that you find on, on set. Like, for example, just the need, in the event, I need to do this sitting down. And it's beautiful because it really contributes to that difference in power dynamic with the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I was just commenting with, with Frank the other day that mistakes, you know, you can plan 100%, 99% of it, but then the mistakes make the film. And then you realize, wait a minute, what I, what I had decided sucks. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is much better than whatever I thought, you know, some totally. little details. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice when you capture something that could only have happened that day. You know, yes. it's like, oh, okay, if I shot another weekend, it would be a different film. Uh, yeah, those are like the moments you're looking for, yeah. What's the, there's the Rivette quote or the Godard quote, which is basically like, you know, a film is a documentary of its own making. And that's totally. what yeah, I, yeah. that's what I feel like mm -hmm. with, especially these two films, mm -hmm. but they're such time capsules. I think they're really like beautiful time capsules of like shooting in a single day for each film and like, you know, getting to explore the same space, but an entirely different narrative in an entirely different way, you know? Yeah, I, th yeah, I think that's, you know, just, just what you said, I think it's one of the beauties of short film. If there ever could be a, a line, you know, engraved in books forever, that's the line frame. <laughs> the yeah. beauty of short films. Yeah. Yeah. Do it in one day, yeah. one, one location, contain story. Yeah. Figure it out. You in know, and go out. Go out there and make yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, this question, was a bit related to the acting part. Um, so, Hugo, how was your transition exactly from Portugal to the United States, especially if there are Portuguese actors listening? <laughs> oh, nice. Um, I, I, I never worked in Portugal. I, I did some commercials and stuff, but, uh, but I went to New York to study. And I was there for two years, and then I moved here. And I've been here for eight to nine years. Um, the transition... It's hard just in terms of legal stuff. It's hard to get a visa. And, you know, especially if you've never worked in Portugal, it's just really hard. Um, so, uh, so I probably don't, wouldn't recommend people to come here, like, and start their careers here. Because uh, I think it's easier if you, like, get things going a little bit in your, in your own country. Because then you can get an O-1 visa. This is really technical. I should probably, probably we probably were expecting. This uh, is a part where we enter in bureaucracy. Legal segment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, I know, yeah. Let, let me get my lawyer. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, the process is like learning the language, learning the culture. Uh, it's a, it takes a really long time and there's no shortcut, shortcuts at all. Uh, I, I had a speech coach like when in New York and he's, he was like, I can give you, you need time here. You need to live here for, 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 for a while. You know, that's how you're going to get better. Uh, you can you can work really hard to try to get there as fast as you can. But like, you know, there's really no shortcuts. It just takes a while. Yeah. And how do, actually, now that you mentioned New York, um, how do you find the culture different between New York and Los Angeles? Uh, it's very different, actually. Uh, in New York, people are just in class. Like professionals are in class and you, you talk with someone and they're like, oh, I'm doing this scene in class. And that's not that, that's something that doesn't happen here. It's very like uh, in L.A. I, I live. Frank and I are in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, uh, here is more like industry. You're trying to get on TV and films. And that's really the 
where you where you used to measure where you where you are in your career in New York. You know, theater is more uh, is important, and people are in, working on plays. You know, you know, just a different vibe. Um, Would you two ever make a play? Have you ever thought of the possibility of making a play? I think Frank has. No, it's funny you say. Yeah, I actually just wrote a a new draft of a of a play that I've been starting to submit to like play competitions, and uh, it's my first play I've written since a long time. So it feels good to kind of experiment with theater again. Interesting. Uh, it's about uh, the legacy of Houdini. So it's a uh, it's a little supernatural, but it takes place on like the tenth anniversary of his death and the people affected by it. Yeah. I think it was a pugilist that kind of gave him a blow on the side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a college boy. He came in and just hit him when he wasn't ready. Because that was part of his trick, I think, and he wasn't ready in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, now that you say that, I thought the good condition was kind of, it reminded me of waiting for Godot, in a sense, because, you know, there's this unresponsive, you know, kind of force majeure <laughs> of yeah. another person inside this house who just leaves him in total solitude and he's left with kind of finding you know his purpose but in the sense of i want a friend so i thought that was interesting uh i don't know if it ever crossed your mind but i think yeah, it did yeah i yeah. think i think it did yeah yeah and we talked we talked a lot about there was just a lot of influences we talked about just like murakami and like a lot of actually short story writers who kind of had that kind of elliptical quality where there really is no end it's not like a concrete ending yeah, it kind of yeah. drifts away it's more like a moment in time for a character to have a thought and like once they have that thought it's like it's over you know Mm-hmm. You know, I've recently read uh, Murakami's um, Kafka on the Shore. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen I yeah. love that book. Yeah. So one of the best books I've ever read. <laughs> it was amazing, mm -hmm. disturbing, and beautiful mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's what I'll say by the New yeah. Yorker. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, hire me. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful book. Uh, a lot to do with that uh, magical realism, the supernatural that we were talking about the other day. But yeah, uh, Miguel, move on. Shut me up, please. <laughs> Shut me up. <laughs> so this, yeah, this is a question for Frank. Um, so differently to the events and in condition, um, your past films often star women. Um, Spider Veins, Casa de Mi Madre, Her Wilderness. So at the time, what drove you to this, to tell these feminine perspectives? You know, I think um, that, that all started because I think all the movies I'd made before those films were all very masculine. -driven. They were all... I was obsessed with Cassavetes and this idea of like men being men and all their frailty and all their strength and all their, and exploring the highs and lows of that. And I felt like I'd kind of like run up to a wall and I realized that I have all these amazing actresses that I knew who are friends of mine. And it was like, I'm not getting to collaborate with them. Why am I only focusing on men? And so I started writing some of these scripts with them in mind, which is like how her wilderness happened and, Parthenon and some of these other other films and I also think I think there's nothing better than trying to collaborate with someone else who you know uh, as a man collaborating with a woman kind of getting to see like what is that like the psychology because that's something I'll never understand like I'll never I can never fully understand that because I am who I am right but I can at least attempt to explore that psychology and those ideas and so uh, for me it was kind of a way to work with friends to kind of to tap into a different uh, psychology when working on the scripts. And then conversely, whenever I kind of made those films after a while, and then Hugo was like, let's make something together. It was interesting because it's kind of exploring masculinity again, 
but in the voice of Hugo, you know, as like as the writer and, uh, you know, and in a very different way, you know, and exploring a different kind of masculine edge and and uh, a sense of being heard, wanting to be needed and wanted and understood, you know, so. Yeah, that's the interesting part because ultimately they're, they're films with universal ideas. So really just uh, you understand these fundamental things about loneliness um, that go much beyond just the, the fact that he's a, that he's a man. You know, I found really interesting your use of insert shots uh, in, in these films. Um, it's not always obvious why you cut certain objects. Um, it's as if they are, you know, the objects are bits of the characters too. Um, I can think of the, the bowl of spaghetti in the event or the table in good condition. Um, but I also saw um, her wilderness and um, there was also this, uh, this is, uh, insert shot of the apples in the bowl and the coffee uh, machine. So what exactly is your process in regards to these insert shots uh, in the edit? I mean, um, with the with the event in good condition, it was a little different, like working with Hugo, you know, something that was talked about and we worked together on that, you know, in that case. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with hands in movies. Uh, I'm also just obsessed with hands, just as like paintings of hands, pictures of it, something about me. Um, so when I discovered like, Brisson a long time ago I feel like the way he photographs hands the tension of like being so close yet they're not touching but two people's hands it's like you're waiting for it to happen you're waiting for it I think there's there's a a mundane quality to objects that um can take on a great tension if put in the right spot in the right film and a narrative um I also think sometimes it's just a little more interesting to look at like I think there's one part of me that thinks it's amazing just to have a long shot on Hugo for four and a half minutes and see that face and just watch that face. But then another part of me is like, I'd love to see a whole scene where it's just like on a vase of flowers and we're seeing the scene happen in front of that. But again, it's what's right for the film. How does that work within the narrative? What does that say? You don't want to do it just to do it, you know? Um, but yeah, inserts for me is like, it's all about the, they're very delicate. So you have to be careful. And, and most of the time I would argue for me, they're always kind of rooted in a perspective of a character. They're most like a perspective a literal POV of a character having a moment and seeing something. Um, yeah, because I think there's nothing better than getting in that headspace and seeing something that might have a big effect on them. Well, yeah, your relationship with your both relationship with objects is very interesting uh, because, you know, since even that in, in the event and uh, good condition, you have this table and this bowl of spaghetti coming up again and but the most mysterious of all i think was the the coffee machine to me it was very unexpected there's an unexpected quality about our inserts that i found uh, very unique the way they are placed so hence the question i think for us for us all um because sometimes the relationship because normally you know the object kind of takes um is contaminated by the POV of the person, like you said, or the emotions of the person, like the table of the bowl of spaghetti. In the case of the coffee machine, is something that is almost invisible. It's more used maybe as a punctuation, perhaps, in the scene, to uh, in correlation even with the storm, because you have a storm in that scene. Uh, I'm glad you picked that up, because definitely there's percolating is like the thunder that's like on the way, you know, but it's also the relationship, right? It's like they're, they're tense in that room, so everything is percolating, you know? Yeah, and her hair is wet, so so you and they're both kind of semi-naked, so it's this kind of something that is not quite right in the conversation. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's this whole ambience, almost like it's a storm inside the room. You make it feel um, 
because when I saw the storm coming, uh, my mind went immediately to that um, conversation we had before uh, about uh, your interest in the supernatural coming into a scene. So I thought you used it in, in almost that kind of way where something mundane is transformed through the power of another mundane shot, shot but the connection between them, like the percolating in the coffee machine, the fact that her, her hair is wet, that then so result, it feels like it is a storm inside this kitchen, but a quiet one. I mean, that's... Thank you. Thank you. That I means a lot, be, you saying that. You know, but, no, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, but it means a lot. Thank you saying, for saying that, because, uh, yeah, I haven't talked about that in a long time, that scene, but, so, but it's cool to hear you put it that way, a storm in the room. Really nice. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a question for you, which is a classic cliche, perhaps, <laughs> or may not be, but I found it interesting, which is, um, to you both, um, what advice would you give to your younger selves as filmmakers? Or actors and writers. Human beings, you know. Human, human beings, beings as well. exactly, on a personal level. Just anything. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm in a position to give any advice. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm still young, so, you know, uh, I, I'm still talking to myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it, there's nothing you can say to someone who's young that's going to, like, stop them or, like, push them to, you know, I feel like if you're going to do something, uh, if you're going to be a filmmaker or do anything in this industry, it's like you just, you go, it's because there's something in you that you, you have to do it. So if I tell if I, I can't be encouraging or discouraging. If you're meant to do it, you're going to do it. Uh, obviously, it's a privilege to, if you're going to pursue any dream, just the fact that you can do that. You know, I, I was lucky enough that I could leave my home and I don't have, my parents don't need me to take care of themselves. So I can just like leave and think about what 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 I want to do, you know, it's like I, it's a total privilege. Um, and then, you know, for, for some reason, I have something in me that I'm like, oh, I, I'll just I have to do it. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know. Obviously, being an independent filmmaker in in the U.S. is a total hobby. Like, you don't make, you can't really make a living doing this. Uh, so it's like, you know, you just you just have to do it. You have no choice. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful answer, Hugo. It's a really beautiful answer. No, it is because it's uh, we are privileged like to be able to, to be sitting here now to be talking about all this stuff. It's always a reminder um, of what a privilege it is. And Hugo used a word earlier that I want to reuse, which is he said, you know, it's a miracle. And I, I think without putting any religious connotation to it necessarily, I think every film is a is a miracle that it gets made. It's like it's crazy to even make something and then to make something that's watchable, like he was saying. I mean, it's it's this much. It's like this slight of like to actually make a movie that is like good. And as he said earlier, one thing can change it all up. So I think it's something to never take for granted. Um, I would say, as for advice, I mean, we all have to jump through hoops of fire in our own ways. You know, everybody's narrative is totally different. There's always overlap. We all see different things in our life that affect us and affect the films we make from a personal perspective. Right. Uh, so like I couldn't say to, for you to do things a certain way because of what you have going on in your life. Right. Because only you can take what you know and what you have and what you've lived as an artist and put that into a film. Right. I can't, I can't do your story, your life. We may have a overlap of interests. And so I think maybe the one piece of advice I would say would be um, to myself young Frank would be to be a little less precious because I think when I was younger, I think I was, I held on to a lot of things for a very long time. 
um, projects, ideas. And although I think there is a healthy balance to strike with doing that, I think I kind of, I pushed myself into some corners that I didn't need to thinking that I had to make this one thing and I wouldn't do it because of whatever reason, whether it's money or time or wasn't quite right aesthetically. So then I end up like not making that thing and time goes by and pretty soon five years go by, you know? Um, so I would go through spurts in my life where I would just have a whim and on a random flurry of energy on a weekend, I would make a movie with a friend, but I wish I had done even more of that. And I wish that I would have maybe put some ideas to bed way earlier. So it would have given me the headspace to focus on newer possibilities and newer ideas. You know, I, sometimes I'm like a snapping turtle. And like, once I hold on to an idea, it's very hard for me to, to let it go unless it's kind of exercised you know, purged out of me, you know? Uh, but I think there's a healthy way to get that out of you without necessarily making the movie, you know? And again, it goes back to what Hugo said at the very top of the call where he's like, you know, you can write all the time, but which one are you going to make? You know, you can't make everything you write. Um, so yeah, that's the one thing I tell my young self. I was just going to add that the writing is that thing. There's an immediate production of it. You know, you can write it, be with the paper in front of you and start filmmaking is what you just said they are miracles you know it's it's difficult there's another filmmaker that said that it brings something in my my mind but i can't quite place him um it's miracles utter miracles because you have to kind of reunite all these people the resources to make the film the days when when to make it the conditions you know the food to keep the people happy <laughs> so uh you know don't forget about the food <laughs> and uh, it's 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 a miracle every time it gets done and done the way that you wanted it to, and wanted is a very wide word because you in the within the wanted verb, there's the things that you don't expect, but that work for you. So it's a very malleable thing. Um, and yeah, I totally understand that uh, it's difficult to give advice, uh, being what it is. It's such a murky water business, flood with subjectivity of everyone's experience. A specific thing that I would have told myself uh, like eight years ago, it's like, I think I moved to to Los Angeles with, I just wanted to work right away. And I should have, uh, you know, spent some time just like getting settled and like making friends and going to class and building a community. You know, sometimes you, we get really obsessive about what's the next project. How can I do this or do that? And we forget to live a life, you know, to have a full life and have friends and do things, do exciting things. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I wish I spent more time just like trying to like get settled and, uh, making friends and stuff like that. Uh, that's why maybe my films, my, my, this, these two short films that I made are like about men that are lonely. Um, and, and another thing is like, don't, don't, if you, I, I read a quote re recently, which was, uh, if you, if you want something really bad and you, 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 you want it and you're obsessive about it. You'll get it, but that's your punishment. That's not your reward. You know what I mean? Like when you get that obsessive about something, you know, if, you, if your goal in life is to get into Sundance, you'll get it one day, maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but that's not going to be a reward. You know what I mean? Because you lost so many opportunities on the way. You know what I mean? Like, so be flexible, be excited about the people around you. It's just, you know, don't be too laser focused on what you want to do, you know? Um, yeah. 
I actually okay. forget what how we got to talking talking about this. <laughs> what was the question? Oh, well, the, the question was yeah, general was exactly about what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, uh, which okay. I think yeah, you yeah, just yeah, did. Yeah. You just did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay. If we got in a time capsule, you know, your face would pop up from the sky and say to your younger self, "Make friends. Make friends. <laughs> Make friends. Yeah, yeah, go, ahead. Go, go, out, go outside. You know. Go outside. Yeah. Touch grass. <laughs> touch grass. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe final question to wrap things up. Um, so after. Aspen Shorts Fest, where do you plan to take good condition? I mean, not just in terms of festivals, but also just generally, what are your perspectives for it? Uh, and also, where can the public see it eventually and the event as well? Yeah, I mean, we right now we're, we're just, you know, knock on wood, we're, uh, you know, we're going to play some more festivals after Aspen. We'll see. It's always a crapshoot. Um, but I think we're planning on doing just a rollout similar to the event, which is a site you can see the event uh, as a staff pick on Vimeo. It's also on No Budge, Director's Notes. You can stream it on there. But we're hoping to maybe do something kind of similar to to that at some point. But we're just trying to see if we can play a few more festivals first. How many festivals do you normally get on average with a short film, let's say? I, I mean, mean <laughs> I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough question. Yeah, it was I mean, always I, a tough question. You, you, you're lucky if you get one, you know what I it's mean? Like, true. That, 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 that should be the, yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've had, I've made some shorts in the past where I played that I was very happy with, but, uh, you know, they played like, you know, three, four festivals. They played more showcases or like film, you know, clubs than it did like festivals. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have something like the event, which I think really touches people like in an emotional way and with humor and with the, with the naturalism that, um, you know, takes on a life of its own. People start kind of spreading it, which is a really good sign uh, when people want to share it. You know, you're not asking them to, hey, like watch my film or show up, but they're actually like, hey, we just want to like, can I like send this to a friend? You're like, yeah, like go for it. It's already public. Like, you know, do whatever you want with it. Uh, so yeah, every film's different. You know, you never know how it's going to get a response, you know? Mm -hmm. And do you get into any kind of strategy yourselves or just uh, let's see where he, where it ends up. You just submit... Um, I mean, it sucks because you have to, uh, you know, the, the game is like you, you submit to the big ones. And if you don't get into the big ones, you go into like more regional stuff. But that, I hate that fucking thing. I mean, I hate it so much because it's like big festivals are asking the biggest thing they can someone can ask from, from me is time. And they're asking you to like just make a film and wait a year and then you, you don't get in and then you have to do another year of regional fests. And in the, and then it comes out. It's been like a hundred years. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a it's a bad system. I hate it. Uh, but you kind of have to do it because you ha you have no option. You know. Uh, totally. And you're lucky if you get into one. You should be always grateful. You know. Yeah. And to 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 jump on that actually, and Hugo and I have talked a lot about this. We've commiserated on this, but it's like what really is crazy is that some of these festivals want premier status. So when they want a premiere status, it really screws with your timeline because we got accepted into a film festival before Aspen, which is a lovely film festival that we love, that we love. But we but it was a thing where we couldn't take Aspen if we played at this other one. And it's a bummer because like in a in a perfect world, in a perfect world, like, can't we just play everything? Like, what's why does Venice care if, yeah. we're playing regionals? <laughs> if we play Venice after playing 10 regionals? It's still the premiere of the yeah. fucking yeah. film. It's Venice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why do they care? Why are they like, don't, oh, it's, 
annoys me so fucking much. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. Because you're in the it's position really... where you have to reject people watching your film when the whole point you want people to watch. Yeah. It, so it's really frustrating. Exactly. It's 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 yeah. It's dumb. Which is which is the festivals should relax. If you're yes, if they, any that, programmer that is, is listening to this, relax, if, yeah. buddy. That's that should be your takeaway quote. Be your takeaway quote. Hugo and Frank say, relax. relax. That's our you headline. You know what I mean? Like, this is a celebration <laughs> of films. We're trying to get people to watch them. It's, it's the, the business side of it. You know, it's the business side of it that uh, I also don't like about it. And then, you know, to get your money for it, sometimes, you know, you know, great amounts of it. And then you don't get accepted. Then that's fine. We'll have your money still. And we'll pay Lawrence Fishburne's hotel and his champagne. And he will do the Q&A. <laughs> you right. won't be here. So right. that's okay. <laughs> There's always a celebrity element to things, you know, that always takes precedence at a festival. And you're like, okay, I see where this is going. I see where I stand on the on the uh, line, on the hierarchy even, of things. Even now today, I was scrolling down on Facebook and I saw Harrison Ford's uh, Indiana Jones premiering at Cannes. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like the kind of... Because <laughs> it really needs that can slot because nobody yeah. knows who Indiana Jones is. <laughs> exactly. Like nobody has any idea. What My God, is. what an art house niche thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Harrison who? Han Solo? Uh, maybe. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's insane. I mean, that's another reason why with, with good condition, like we're hoping to play more fast, but we also kind of like set ourselves a, a schedule, a timeline of like at a certain point, it's like festivals are great, but you know how you really get your film seen. It's just, it's putting it online. Uh, and it helps if you have a track record, like that we have the event behind us, all these other films behind us. But it's like, that's how you're going to get the views, you know? So like once you do that rollout, as long as those people like it who run those streaming platforms, I feel like they're really the key because they're the ones that are going to say, hey, we'll give a nice release for you online, you know. So as long as they like it, I think that's even more important. This is a good uh, moment to ask, how do you approach those online platforms? Um, for example, if the scenario would be you wouldn't be at a lot of festivals or very known festivals, could you approach those platforms or do they come to you with an interest, for example? No, you approach them. Nothing comes to you at all in this industry, you have to go to them and you have to ask them. Uh, and yeah, you have nothing to lose, you know, it's just to try to, you try yeah, to The no is granted, the no is granted. So, you know, it's yeah. about trying. And by the way, I need to say, I love festivals. I love festivals. Of course. That's where yeah. I make my friends. I love going to festivals. I love everything about them. As you know, I just don't like it's the, just the business side how of it. competitive they are. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, what's funny is that the only time I've ever heard of some of those streaming platforms, like, coming to a filmmaker, this feels like a myth, right? I don't know if you guys have heard about this myth. It's like, but if you're like Sundance or something, they'll come to you. They even have, um, Vimeo has a really cool thing at Sunfest where it's like a Vimeo staff pick or programmers award. And they'll pick a short at certain festivals and then they, you know, will put their stamp on it and they'll push it out, which is amazing of them to do. But unless you're in that small bracket, it's like what Hugo said. It's like, you gotta, you gotta hit them up yourself and what yeah. do you think for filmmakers listening are good uh streaming platforms unknown ones like director's notes lesser known ones but good for indie filmmakers that you would recommend yeah i mean for short for short films yeah. specifically mm -hmm. or like feature films short short, short films for or short feature films, films can you know you can uh, divide them yeah. up um i mean like director's notes no budge are two great ones uh they do what i like about directors knows too is they do a very in-depth analysis and like interview which is nice um there's also uh short it's always nice week. when you can get an interview yeah, yeah totally <laughs> uh, short of the week uh which is a big one for people um and there's Film some shortage. other 
film shortage. Uh, there's this one that I'm just now getting more familiar with that I always heard about over the years called uh, was Amleto. Oh Amleto. yeah, 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 yeah. And so like that one I've been seeing more and more, but I, I, I'm just now kind of learning more about it. So. Yeah, and also I think I don't know. There's some more known ones, kind of. There's Fandor. I don't know how that operates, but it seems interesting. Yeah. But yeah, Fendor is making a comeback for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is um, is my what's sound that? like really behind when I No, talk? no, your your I have sound a is feeling. good. Your sound is good. Your sound is good. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a slight I'm kidding. delay, maybe. Oh, okay. Okay, but Sorry. not noticeable. By Maybe the way, maybe I listened it's an. to your. Yeah, you go ahead. You go No, ahead. no, I was saying maybe it's an LA thing because like he sounds perp like over here. It's like right on. Yeah, Oh, he does. I think that's. I listen. Mm. Yeah. I, the internet in my office sucks. By the way, uh, I listened to your Tar episode and I loved it. I listened Oh, really? to it last night, Awesome. and I feel so close to you, all of you. I, I really think it's <laughs> an amazing podcast. oh, thank You couldn't, you. you, Thank you. Frank. Frank, he was in Portuguese, so you couldn't have listened <laughs> to it. Uh, Get it out was of really here. great. Someday. Get out of here. Someday. Yeah, I'll learn. Frank actually hates Portuguese people. He Yeah, tells I was me going that to save all it for the time. the end of this. I was going to make a big announcement, you know, save it for the last 30 seconds. Big <laughs> announcement. Yeah. Yeah. I have this specific window from where I do my announcements from I hate Portuguese people in the window. <laughs> I just open today. I got to get in quick. I got to say it quick. Get out. And that was the latest from Hugo Souza and Frank Mosley, folks. We would like to thank their presence here today. They're two wonderful filmmakers, and go check out their short, the event, now available online as a female staff pick. If you're a filmmaker running the festival marathon, feel free to send us a message for an interview as well. We would love to promote your work. Don't forget to subscribe, share this interview, or simply give us a like. That's how our podcast can grow ever more groovy. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.